Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey guys, it's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Oh, yes. We thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. We don't. But that's cool. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah, psha. We tell tell ourselves that every day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really excited about today. We're going to sit down with a stand-up comic. She's hilarious. Her name is Kate Willett. But before we talk about Kate, Kayla, I think it's important that you and I discuss our um, experience in comedy. I have no idea where you're going with this. And I'm so scared. (laughs) Because you and I have both done, uh, you know, improv classes. We we know our way around the improv block. Right. I was absolutely terrible at it. I love (laughs) here's what's so funny is I loved doing it. I looked forward to the class so much. I thought it was going to be the the greatest experience of my life. And no one ever wanted to work with me. I was way too stiff. I'm not funny enough. I'm not I'm just it's something that I love to do. But that like, you know, probably only my parents would ever want to watch me do this. (laughs) 
I want to watch you do no. improv comedy. <laughs> we never got to be in a class together. I'm very disappointed. I would have called True. on you to work with Thanks. you. Thanks. I would have loved to see your object work. Yeah, Melissa's <laughs> chiming in. She'd pay to see it. Our producer, <laughs> Melissa Munz. Thanks, Mel. Only you two and my parents. Um, yeah, I love that. That I feel like that's something that almost every actor in LA, like in off times or like times where auditions are really slow, we all like like to be like, oh, don't worry. You know, I'm taking an improv class. I'm a level two. And, <laughs> right. and, and uh, Which and anyone they, can take, by the way. It's anyone, not like... <laughs> anyone can sign up. Like most of the ones that I've taken, like half the class is just like people who are retired and are just like, I just wanted something fun to do while the kids were at school, you know, or like stay at home moms that have no interest in um, acting or comedy who end up being great half the time. <laughs> Not not my case. <laughs> no, but uh, but it's yeah, if, if, especially with like, you know, things starting to open up. And I feel like everyone's going to be really excited just to put themselves out there and do like jump into their community and try things new and like find their creative spark again. You know, I highly recommend doing an improv class. I think it's very fun. It's very scary. You know, they're usually around eight weeks long. And no one is that great at it in the class, like when you're starting out at all, but everyone takes it really seriously. And there's always like a final show that you have to invite people to. Mm -hmm. um, but Kayla, my question is like, did you ever invite people to your show? I never got an invitation. The only person I invited to my show was my husband and he came. Thanks. Shout out to Tanner. He came because he couldn't say no, obviously. And then he was the sweetest and told me how how great I was. But I know it was a lie. It was one of those lies where he just was like, I, there's nothing else I can say. So I'm just going to tell her she was great. <laughs> how about you? Did I didn't get an invite to yours, Candace. So don't get No, mad. I never invite anyone. <laughs> Did ever. you invite Joe? No. Are you <gasps> kidding? I told him specifically he was not allowed to come. He tried to come. <gasps> oh and I'm like, God. how dare you? <laughs> No, never. There was a point um, when all the Vampire Diaries actors we knew, all of our friends were kind of into it. Like, I, I remember going to shows sometimes and seeing, like, all of our castmates were kind of into it and, like, taking these improv classes. And I was so scared that someone would show up to one of my shows and no one ever did. Thank God. I know. I did. I remember one, like, I ended up in an improv where I was like an Elvis impersonator. And oh anyone God. who knows my accent work knows that it doesn't go over well. Like, can you do your I, Elvis accent for us, oh please? Oh, God. I can't even do a British. <laughs> the only accent I can do is a Southern accent. And, and like, that's it. But like, uh, because you, you lived know, in Atlanta. Hey, hey, darling. Like, oh, um, oh my God. The jailhouse no, rock. No, <laughs> stop. That's it. You know, that's it. You know, I did some hip swivels and that was my Elvis impersonation. <laughs> and that's why right I now. don't invite people to any UCB shows. That's why. Um, but I do want to say really sad to report that um, UCB Sunset actually had to close their location due to the 2020 pandemic. It's been, um, you know, it, it was 2020 was a rough year on comedy on comics, on stand-up comedy, on like comedy bars. Um, and that's why we're really excited to sit down with our guest today to talk about um, not only uh, what she's been up to in the last year, a new book that she wrote, an Audible original called Dirtbag Anthropology, um, but also what it was like to be a stand-up comic in 2020. 
And if you guys aren't familiar yet with Kate Willett, you're about to be. She has a Netflix special, The Comedy Lineup, and you can see her on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Her debut album, Glass Gutter, was a huge hit, and she has followed that up with, like Candace said, an Audible original series called Dirtback Anthropology. She's also the co-host of a political comedy podcast called Reply Guys, which you can check out wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, here is our conversation with comedian Kate Willett. And we are here with Kate Willett. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. We have been so excited to talk to a female comedian. Let's just start from the beginning. What made you want to get into comedy? And did you grow up having any role models in the comedy world? In terms of how I got into comedy, I was like a hardcore theater kid when I was growing up. I loved musicals, singing, dancing, acting. I was not good at singing or dancing. So (laughs) I uh, realized that I need to, you know, do something else. So I was doing a lot of theater for a while. And then um, in my mid-20s, I discovered a stand-up and was like, just tried it a couple times. And I was like, oh, shit, I I love this. This is amazing. So uh, it was, that's kind of how I came to it. Because, you know, with theater, it was like, you just have to audition all the time and stuff. And it it can be really, really fun. But I also wanted to be performing a lot. I wanted to be like saying words that I wrote and stand up was just so exhilarating. Now, there aren't many role models in the female role models in the comedy world. Did you feel like you had anyone you could look up to when you started to kind of explore this new path? Yeah. So, I mean, there were definitely like women that I really admired that were a little bit um, ahead of me and comedy that I met in the Bay Area where I started. And then I also had to like, I also thought a lot about like the comics that I watched growing up, as well as like some famous female comics. I was, I really loved Jen Kirkman. Um, I really loved Laura Keitlinger. Um, but like when I was a teenager, my main like comedy person that I was obsessed with was Margaret Cho. And I ended up getting to tour with her when I was a few years into comedy. So it was like, I, I, I got to work with my role model, which Mm -hmm. was an incredible experience. Yeah. I'm always curious how the jump goes from like, oh, that would be fun to get on stage alone with a microphone and just say really personal jokes and hopefully the entire audience laughs. (laughs) Um, what, What is that jump? Like, at what point was your... Like, okay, I'm going, did you practice? Did you just get up on a stage one night? I'm always interested in every comic's like first time on stage. Yeah. So the first time I did an open mic, I had actually gone to the open mic just to observe, right? Because, you know, it's easy if you've never seen stand up live or especially if you've never been to an open mic to be like, you know, you look at the professional comedians, you watch a comedy special or whatever, and you're like, well, of course I can't do that, you know? But then when I watched an open mic, just to observe, I was like, oh, I actually, I can do that, you know? Because it was just like, it was a mix of people who had some, you know, funny jokes here and there. And also like a lot of people who were just getting up on stage and just saying stuff that was just kind of like patently offensive. So I'm like, as long as I don't go on stage and say something 
like horrible. <laughs> I'm going to be in the top half, you know? <laughs> and so I just decided, I decided to just put my name on the list and I tried it. And, you know, I, uh, of course it was not very good, but I think I made people laugh at least a bit, a couple times. And then that was like, that was like, oh my gosh, like I, I can actually say words on a stage into a microphone and make people laugh. So, you know, I, maybe I can get better at it too. And then after that, I started doing a lot of open mics. In your interview with Margaret Cho, you guys talk about, you know, being a woman in this world of comedy and like you address how being sexy and feeling sexy might somehow be like conceived as an open situation, open invitation. And like, you know, how gross that is and how gross that feels. And um, it, that was the environment back then. Do you feel like that's still the environment today? I think that things have changed a little bit because, you know, post Me Too, I think that men are really conscious of not wanting to be seen as a creep. But also, I don't know, because a lot of the times where people like hit on you a lot, it's like when you're like a newer comic. And I think the part of the reason that like guys were trying to like hook up with, you know, comics like they the the bet that those guys are making and a lot of the time is like this isn't somebody who's gonna be around forever that I'm gonna have mm -hmm. to continue to interact with because most people who start comedy especially open mics like you know a lot of those people will not be doing it in a year or two you know so I think once you've like been into comedy for a while like the calculation that someone who's like trying to hook up with you would be making is like you know, am I capable of having a positive enough interaction with this person that it's going to be fine that we're going to see each other on a regular basis? So mm -hmm. the vibe changes a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, the, the short answer to your question is, I don't know. I think it has changed, but I'm also like out of the category uh, where that would be happening to me all the time. Because it's a tight knit community, especially. So you were uh, performing up in uh, San Francisco then. That's where you started your comedy yep. career. And then um, you said within a couple of years, you end up touring with um, you, someone that you admired and idolized in the comedy world. What was that trajectory exactly? For anyone that's listening that is maybe just now getting into open mics or has an interest now that the world is opening up to fulfill their dream <laughs> to jump on the stage and try their stab at comedy? It was, I think it was maybe, it was like three and a half years in. And what, you know, what my first year was like was just doing open mics all the time, maybe 10 times a week, you know, multiple times a night. And I would also do shows in like bars and stuff, especially once I got like a little better, you know, maybe six months in, um, I would, you know, just do a mix of like mostly shows I wasn't getting paid for and also open mics. Then, you know, the second year I was still doing it a lot. I kept a log of all the sets that I did and I was trying to make sure I hit at least 365 sets a year. Could be open mics, could be shows. Wow. And, and I did that for, I think three, four years. And I also started producing my own shows. I had three shows that I booked and promoted and you know would book other comics on and one of those shows was really good it was like a it was a show where you know a lot of comedians would come to hang out and it, we just had a really big audience and it was really fun to do so margaret was in town for comedy day which is this event in the bay area where um 
like all the kind of famous Bay Area comedians will come back and it's like an outside thing where people perform. And she was looking for, you know, other stage time. She just wanted to like work on some new material. And so someone recommended, you know, why don't you stop by Kate's show on a Monday night? It's really fun. So she came and she did a set there. And I also did a set there um, because it was my show. And, you know, I'd been working on comedy a lot. Uh, and I had a bit that I was really proud of, um, that was just like very exciting to me at that time. And, um, that was the bit that actually the first bit that I got on TV with, it was a story about a pregnancy scare at Burning Man. So she saw that (laughs) and then she messaged me the next day that was like, Hey, I really love that bit. And I was like, Oh my God, Margaret Cho is messaging me on Facebook. How is this even happening? Um, and you know, we started like corresponding from time to time. She was really kind to me and I got to ask her some questions about what, you know, her journey had been like and advice for comedy and stuff. And then I, you know, I put together another show that she did, like produced it and stuff. And I, I opened for her again for that show. And, you know, I, not to, not to brag, but I did a really great job because you I had should been, brag. Brag. Yeah. We are this giving you the yeah. right to brag. Go for it, girl. And, uh, <laughs> also, as women, we are always so apologetic for being right. like, I fucking killed it. Like, I did a great job. I worked my ass off and then I and then I rocked it. So, yeah, you, you did the thing. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it was like a thing where I had been like, you know, doing comedy like hundreds of times per year for a few years at that point. And I did all the material that I was the most proud of. And it was really good. And um, then, you know, uh, a few months later, Margaret was her regular opener, needed to take some time off for various reasons. And Margaret invited me to fill in and then that was how I got to to tour with her and it was for like a little while like she ended up you know working with her regular opener um again but you know I got to do like I don't know maybe like uh, 20 shows with her you Mm -hmm. know and it was really cool we got to hang out and so yeah that was that was how it happened and there were a lot of things that like if I wasn't producing my own shows, that wouldn't have happened. If I right. wasn't like doing comedy like hundreds of times per year, it wouldn't have happened. And I, for those first few years, like my whole life was about comedy. Um, I don't, I actually, I don't live like that anymore. I try to have a more balanced life because it's just not sustainable to like only have <laughs> like one thing that you're doing and like no relationships or anything. Like I, I there was a point that I reached that it's like, I was like, okay, I, I, I need to like nurture the other parts of my life if I'm even going to keep writing jokes, you know? Right. I always think it's so interesting how people who aren't in the entertainment industry think that, you know, success just happens overnight. And like, you know, those who didn't know who you were and then watched the specials and watched you are, th- are thinking and that, you know, it just happened. But then it's so nice to hear the story behind that, you know, you, you spent I mean, 365 shows a year was your goal for three years. That's an insane amount of hours. It's over that 10,000 hours um, that they say you have to put in. And just to hear all the hard work you put in to everything that you so deserve to be where you are right now and and own it, you know, and I just think it's true. It's really true. And I think your life story is so interesting. I loved listening to your audio book, Dirtbag Anthropology. And it, it, it really, you know, you you talk about how you are a queer woman who used to be married to a woman 
now mostly then you started to date men and this exploration you went on about like modern masculinity and what that means. And I just want to know how you got the idea for the book to start at the beginning. I started thinking about a book that had to do with masculinity and like specifically the question of like, what is healthy masculinity look like, you know, kind of right at the height of me too, because I had a lot of male friends who were asking me like, you know, what should I be doing? How should I be flirting? Like, you know, what's the best way for me to not be creep and make other people feel comfortable? And right. I thought, I thought a lot about that question. So there are guys, many, most who are very aware of not being a creep, but there's a lot of focus on like, what do we want people not to do? And I also started to think about the question, okay, but what do we want people to do? Mm. You know, like it's not, it's not enough to just not sexually harass people. That's really, really (laughs) the basics, you know? So I, you know, I started thinking about this question, like what would it mean to be, you know, like a, a good man, you know, in this, uh, in this time. And I wanted to write something about it. And at the same time, I, thought about why I was even exploring that question. Like, why was that so relevant to me? Why has that been something that I've been stuck on in my comedy for years and years, like as, you know, one of my particular comedic obsessions. And, you know, I thought a lot about like my own relationships with men and what those have meant to me, uh, how they have changed me. And I, I don't just mean romantic relationships either. I mean, my friendships, my family at work, you know, and So I I just, you know, I was thinking a lot about it and I felt like what was missing from a lot of the articles at the time about masculinity was like an element of like humanness and vulnerability. I remember seeing this piece that was like uh, 10 questions that you should ask on a first date. And they were all like, you know, political questions about super controversial topics and you know all things that like I I would consider important to be aligned with someone in a relationship but at the same time like uh, no I'm not gonna go sit down on a first date with like with someone and be like oh okay like what is your idea of how household labor should be divided you know like what do you think about abortion you know like I mean it wasn't and it it was it's what a conversation over appetizers that would be (laughs) take the mozzarella sticks and discuss pro-choice yeah no I mean that's that's absolutely important I would not date a man who is not like conscious of that stuff and I would not date a man who did not share my values but at the same time like the idea of doing all this on a first date it seemed so out of touch with like how human beings actually work and what actually would result in a connection with someone or even a second date that I I just started kind of noticing that that tone in a lot of writing about men masculinity toxic masculinity you know consent. And so I I really wanted to write something that felt true to how people actually are, you know, how these situations play out in real life with all the human complexities. And I felt like I could not do that if I was not willing to be 
vulnerable myself to some degree about like how these questions are are playing out for me and like what kinds of things are on my mind about like the way that I am experiencing my relationships with men, how I try to be a good person. So, you know, that's why it's kind of like a half, half memoir, half uh, other stuff. (laughs) What did you find? Like, what was one of the more startling revelations that you uh, discovered on this anthropological dig that you went on? One of the things that I was surprised by um, and Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by it, but I was surprised by how deeply men are engaging with these questions of like, mm-hmm. you know, what what is their own relationship to masculinity? What does it mean to be a good man? You know, where are the ways that like all the baggage of like super or heteronormative gender roles have like impeded their ability to express themselves in, in certain cases or, or connect in certain cases and you know, granted, it was a, a group of men that I selected, right? And they also self-selected to be interviewed about these topics. You know, any of them could have said no. I feel like even though men don't really publicly talk about this stuff a lot in some cases, like it's not something that you will typically see like guys post about on the internet or, you know, it's not a conversation that they'll start. And I think some of that is because of not wanting to open themselves up to, you know, be seen as like creepy or assholes or even as like taking up, taking up, you know, airtime that, you know, should belong to to people who have been hurt by, you know, certain behaviors. So I don't know. It was, I guess, yeah, the TLDR is the most surprising thing was like how, how much men really think about this stuff, including like older guys. Um, Like I was thinking my, my dad, you know, he's like, in his late sixties, he's not like a woke feminist millennial or something. You know, it it is something that he's thought about his whole life too. You know, talk to us about that conversation you had with your dad, because it really was quite moving on the audiobook. So for our listeners who have yet to, can you give them just a little slice of that? So in the book, it's divided into um, chapters based on the areas I felt like ideas of masculinity and or men have really had an impact on my life. So the first chapter is like, you know, about kind of why I started this whole journey in the first place, like what it was like getting divorced from a woman. And then I, you know, ended up moving into these situations where like I started stand up about the same time. Then I was, uh, also dating men. So I felt like I had a, went from a life with like very few men that were even part of it to a situation where like, I felt just completely surrounded by dudes. And so, you know, it goes from stand up to like dating. And then at a certain point, like I wanted to go, you know, back in time to think about, you know, what are the things that like formed sort of my earliest ideas about men. Um, and there's a chapter on uh, evangelical Christianity because I used to be a Jesus teen. And then I also wrote about my dad and my family. And one thing that I started thinking a lot about in the process of writing this book is my brother, when I was growing up, was really sick. He had a terminal illness and I really remember just like hating my dad during that time, you know, because, you know, he was just really 
pissed off and shut down. But as I've experienced loss in my own life, I started to have a lot more empathy for it because, you know, I just realized like my dad, both my parents were probably doing the absolute best that they could and having a sick kid who might die. One of the most stressful things that a person can experience. And so uh, I really wanted to know what was on my dad's mind during that time and, you know, to what extent, like, the pressures of masculinity, manhood, like, affected that. Like, did he feel like he could turn to people for emotional support? Was it a lot of pressure to try to, like, hold our whole family up financially? Like, how did him and my mom decide that she would be the one to quit her job? You know, and... um yeah, I just, I really wanted to know like more about the things that he was thinking about. And I didn't actually think that my dad would agree to do an interview for my book because my dad is an incredibly shy person. Like that's been kind of a theme uh, in my life is that my dad is just, you know, he's really, really, really shy, even with his family. He's not a guy who talks a lot about deep stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, to my surprise, he did agree to do this interview and he he and I had a really great talk that I I can't can't really think of another occasion that I would ha have necessarily like instigated this kind of conversation with my dad you know um but I'm really glad that we got to have it yeah, it, it was really moving in the book. And thank um, you. Yeah, it was a really wonderful part. It's interesting you say how shy your dad is. And then you end up on stage with the microphone spilling your guts out for an audience, you know, as part of as your career. Um, I'm sure that is not lost on you. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely think that that was that was part of it like that was part of my motivation because, you know, like definitely the idea, um, that like everything is private and that you shouldn't be like talking to people about your feelings or your personal life. And like, that was like, that was something that my dad really conveyed to me. And it was something that I disagreed with. Cause I'm just like the kind of person that I'm very open. I like to mm -hmm. tell everyone everything. And so I definitely think that there is an, there's an aspect of rebellion of like, no, I'm not only am I going to tell people like the stuff that everyone talks about, like, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the stuff that you're not even supposed to talk about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. We're back. In your stand-up, you talk a lot about, you know, life, but also you talk a lot about sex. You talk a lot about um, the sex that you are having, the sex that you have had. What is that like as a comic in the digital age? Does that go into your thought process when you're writing your material? Is that something that you think about for the future? Um, Knowing that like everything that you do is going to exist in one way or another on the interwebs. I mean, that's something that we all have to consider at this point. 
Yeah, I used to think about that a lot more, but then I guess I definitely reached a point where I'm like, it's too late. You know, like the first time that I was like, there's going to be something that, you know, I can't ever take down was when I did um, the set for, for Comedy Central, This Is Not Happening, about my pregnancy scare at Burning Man. And it was, there was definitely a thought process of like, wow, this is going to be on the internet forever. But then I was like, am I really going to turn down my first opportunity to be on TV? Of course not. You know? And then once some of that stuff was out there, it was like, I'm committed, you know, whatever my life is from this point is going to have to include uh, people, employers, dates that are completely okay with it. But I don't know. I haven't really encountered situations where that was necessarily a problem for me. But, you know, I'm not trying to get employed as like an elementary school teacher. I'm still really, you know, I'm committed to comedy. There have been situations where it has created like certain certain awkward situations like I went on a first date with this guy back when I was living in San Francisco and it was a good first date we had a picnic in the park and I was connecting with him and then he watched my stand-up when he got home which is probably also something that I would do if I was if I was dating a comedian, I would go see their stand up, or if I was dating a musician, I would listen to one of their songs or whatever, you know, partially to get to know them, partially because like it's so awkward to date someone whose art you think sucks, you know. And <laughs> uh, but then he sent me this like long text message about based on like my set about like uh, how we were going to protect ourselves from like. STIs and like what you know his like rules were about like sex and I was just like hold your horses dude like you watched my stand-up like you don't know what's true or not like we haven't even kissed this is extremely invasive this also, is like a- don't send that in a text message yeah if you no, want to have was- a conversation have a conversation about it <laughs> yeah exactly but I I felt like it was a huge it was a huge boundary violation because I'm like I'm not there's nothing here says that I'm even going to have sex with you, you know, like there's, uh, you know, there's, there's no reason for us to be having this conversation at this point. After and a so, picnic. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a situation where like, I felt a little weird for a, a day, like, will you know, will this be like a thing with like the kind of guy that I would like hope to attract or have like a serious relationship with? But the thing is, like, no, it wouldn't be because I would not be in a relationship with someone who had hangups about me doing the thing that I am most passionate about. Like, it just wouldn't work for so many other reasons, you know? Do you think there's still an element of it that's also like as a woman talking about sex that there's still a taboo attached to that? It's funny because our culture is like, on the one hand, it's not okay to talk about sex. On the other hand, like we're all so super focused on it and it's like all over the media and, you know, advertising and, you know, it's, we're like very prude and also obsessed with sex. And it's like, it's, to me, it seems like just so unhealthy that everything is that extreme. But I I guess the short answer is uh, to some extent, you know, 
But I, at this point, just expect it. Like, yeah, there's definitely people who are assholes on the internet, but there's a lot of people who are not and like me for the fact that I am talking about stuff and relate to it or, you know, just think it's funny or whatever. So I don't know. It's just the, the more the more I've gone on, the more I try to only give mental attention to the people that are, you know, are into what I'm doing. Because in, in, to some extent, the people that hate what I'm doing, they're not relevant to me. They're not going to come to my shows, you know, <laughs> they're not going <laughs> to buy my stuff. So, you know. Right. And it's always, I feel like there's always, um, what do they say? Like, you, at least you want someone to have a reaction. Like if, if like no one cares and it means you're not like speaking authentically towards something that you, especially in comedy, you know what I mean? Like, you're putting it all out there as opposed to just like keeping it lukewarm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a guy online last night that was like very, he seemed really cool. I think we're going to hang out on Friday, maybe take a, a pandemic walk with our masks on or whatever. And, he's, <laughs> and he, you know, he like, he Google searched my comedy, which like, honestly, that's fine. Like, that's something that I would do if I were, you know, dating, like if I were or thinking about dating an artist of some kind. Right. Right. But, you know, I did feel the need to like say like, hey, you know, this isn't thank you so much for like taking an interest in, you know, my stand up. Like, that's really sweet of you to watch it. But also one thing that's important to keep in mind is that like, this isn't this is not like a good way to get to know me as a person, mm-hmm. you know, because like there's a very big difference between like what you say on stage and what your day-to-day life is is like, you know. Speaking of get to know you, I, and if you don't feel comfortable saying this, totally fine. But I was really fascinated by once you got divorced to Molly, when you were in your 20s, how you found yourself attracted to men. And I, I know we have a lot of young listeners on this podcast who are, in their teens and maybe exploring themselves sexually and not really sure what they identify as or whatever that is. And can you just take us through that so they can listen to your perspective on it and kind of find something to relate to in that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I was a teen, I had a boyfriend for a while, but I also felt like I was mainly attracted to girls. And that was something that like, I didn't really think, you know, was going to be like, necessarily possible for me but when I got to college I was like uh, okay like I am finding a girlfriend you know and and I, I dated like I dated a couple couple women and then it turned out that I my my best friend from high school confessed her love to me and she you know also came out and then we started dating. We had a seven-year relationship. Yeah, I think, you know, I feel attracted to men sometimes, but I also, I'm just the kind of person that I'm just very monogamous emotionally. Like, it's just kind of like, I, when I'm in a relationship with someone, they are the main person that I feel sexually attracted to. Now, I don't think that there's anything wrong with not being like that. That's the thing that is not true for everybody. And it's not something that means that you don't love your partner if you feel attracted to, you know, other people or anything. But that's just true for me. And so I felt like my sexuality and like, it was just really about the relationship. 
you know, and then when her and I parted ways and I went on some dates with women, I ended up hooking up with like a friend of my landlord who was also my neighbor. And I, I just kind of realized like at that point I was more attracted to men and I felt, I felt really weird about it. It felt like I, I, it just really like threw my identity into question of like, you know, does this mean that I'm like actually straight or, you know, like, am I going to get like, you know, ghosted by all my queer friends? And, you know, at the end of the day, it was just fine. Cause like the people in my life loved me for who I am. And I think that there was a time period where I felt like really guilty like, oh my gosh, like I have, you know, I'm like abandoning queerness or something. You know what I mean? Because I would always feel really bummed when I would like hear stories of like someone who was like, bye. And then I ended up like marrying like an opposite sex partner or whatever. But I mean, at the end of the day, like sexuality is just like, you know, it's, it's really personal uh, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it because it's going to make my point. It's fluid. You know, it can change throughout your lifetime. Um, it can be specific to a person, you know, like, and I, I guess, you know, I'm not one of those people that will say something like, I don't believe in labels because I think that labels are important like especially you know when lgbt people um pansexual people are still marginalized it's i think you know to the extent that you can or you feel personally comfortable like it's it's good to be out it's important you know for people to realize that they have lgbt people in their lives but to me like they're most of the reason that i would identify as anything at this point and i usually use queer is like you know because it's important to me politically but i have no idea like who the next person that i'll be in relationship with i had you know a few boyfriends in a row i don't always like i i'm not you know on dating apps or whatever i am like interacting mostly with men but i have a friend that like i gotta be honest like i i have such a crush on her and you know i'm not gonna ever do anything about it because we're friends but i I, you know, like if, if for some reason, like she brought up the idea of like us dating, I would be like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah. So I don't know. That's sad. It's confusing, but it, there's nothing but it's wrong beautiful. with you. Yeah, yeah. It's confusing and beautiful and all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was all really, really well said, especially for any of our younger listeners who are listening right now. I do want to talk about the experience of being a comic in 2020. You know, here we are in 2021. The vaccines are out. You know, we're seeing the light at the end of this long tunnel. What was that like to all of a sudden find yourself in quarantine? What did you do at that time? Were you able to perform as someone who was performing, you know, a while back, aiming for 365 shows in a year? What does a comic do in a year like 2020? How did you keep the funny going? I was really depressed when the pandemic first happens. 
I'm still depressed about it. I mean, I, I hated not performing. I did some Zoom shows, you know. Zoom shows could be like, okay, but you know, it's just not the same. It was, it's like my friend Priyanka Wally made a joke about like Zoom shows being like methadone, you know? Like it, it meets some urge, but it's not... <laughs> not the full hit no uh and you know I, d- I definitely got to do some outside shows last summer um outside social distance and that cheered me up quite a bit and i just got my first dose of vaccine i should be fully vaccinated by may i probably won't do indoor shows until the vaccine is available to everyone that wants to be vaccinated you know i don't know i guess right now I feel like I have a pretty like satisfying creative life for the moment. Cause I got to work on this book for a lot of the year and I also have a podcast and I've been doing a lot of other podcasts and stuff, but yeah, there's definitely like a level of uncertainty of like, what will comedy be like, you know, when it comes back, like, will there be as many places to perform? Like, will I, you know, will the progress that I've made in my career, like still matter, you know, like, so I don't know, but I'm, I'm trying to keep an optimistic attitude about it, you know? So let me make sure I understand this fully. It's a Zoom. It's a it's a when you say a Zoom comedy show, it's you live and then other people almost like just a Zoom call like we're having right now. But yeah. do you see their faces and can you hear them laugh or is is it just you? And it's are they silent? on mute? Are they on mute? Like, what is this like? I've done both. The ones that have been the funnest are ones that it was like basically a Zoom call. But, you know, there's like maybe 20 to 40 people in there and people had their cameras off and were laughing. That almost feels like stand up sometimes. I've also done shows where I was just like saying my jokes to no laughter. Uh, <laughs> that just feels like it would be so awkward. And it was, it's like, it's honest. I honestly find it horrible. I, <laughs> I, I had one experience where I just like, I don't know. It just really, it just really hit me. Honestly, I had had a couple glasses of wine and I felt, uh, yeah, I just, one, one day I just, I, I was like, just saying my jokes and I, I just like, it was just I just forgot what I was gonna say and it just like it sucked and I'm like okay I'm not doing any more shows where no no one is laughing at that point are you like oh it's a glitch in the computer yeah uh, <laughs> I just I just <laughs> held a frozen position just <laughs> hoping that yeah. I, I, I just really I really really hated it it felt awful. right the whole point yeah. of being a stand-up comic is to enjoy the experience with everyone to get the the feedback and the laughter and kind of feel like the trajectory and the way your set should go and it's the environment and the people and when you know the pandemic takes all of that away I can imagine how tough that would be for for not just comics but performers in general like we understand that as well it just takes away the creative spark too so yeah luckily you Luckily, you had this awesome audiobook that you were able to make and create in a time when people really need to laugh. And not only is it really laugh out loud funny, but it's really sentimental. And it's really you just kind of touch on all these things. And I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. And I highly recommend it for any of our listeners here. Thank you. It's really entertaining and lovely and awesome. So um, I know that, you know, it's it's a book about men, but it's not just for men. It's for really anyone who wants to be a good person and to try and learn to how to be a better person. You have a lot of different conversations in the book, but is there anything else, any other takeaways that you learned that you can talk to us about? I know that writing this book changed me in some way. And also 
like I just changed a lot over the past couple of years, but I, yeah, I guess like the biggest change I've been through over a couple of years is I, I had a really hard couple of years. 2020 was fucking hard for everybody. And then even in 2019, someone that I was extremely close to who had been my boyfriend passed away tragically. And I, you know, I was trying to wrap my head around the experiences of like the men in my life. And I guess one thing that I found was that it was so much easier to do that after like having been through some real shit. And I guess, you know, I'm dead. I'm not, I have many, many, many flaws as, uh, as a person, but I do feel like the experience of like being through the ringer emotionally made me more compassionate, made me more emotionally intelligent. And so, yeah, I guess the takeaway is like the times in your life that you feel like just completely fucking suck, like let them change you, you know, like you're not going to be the person that you were before you went through that stuff. But like, that's okay. You can let like pain, like make you more loving, more open, more capable of connection. And, and that's a good thing. Mm. You wrote an essay about uh, your experience and grief. And so I, I want to make sure for our listeners, that'll be in the show notes. It's a really beautiful piece. It's very vulnerable. Thank you. Well, thanks for being so vulnerable and open and awesome and funny with us because uh, it's really refreshing and really nice. And I'm just really grateful that you came to have this awesome conversation with us, Kate. Oh, it's so nice to, to talk to you both. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and for all of our listeners, we'll definitely have all the, the links to the audiobook and your podcast and all the good stuff. I mean, you don't stop creating because you just keep creating awesome things. So thanks. thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you on social media? I am at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's on Twitter. And I am Kate dot Willett with two L's and two T's on Instagram. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. I thought Kate was just so raw and real. I so appreciated everything she shared with us and how honest she was through her conversation. You know, sometimes on the podcast, people are aware that they're being recorded and and they kind of uh, filter what they're saying. And she just came in unfiltered, so honest, unapologetic. I really appreciate how deep she went with us. I always forget that the root of comedy really is your own truth and experience. And it's like the idea of getting up on a stage and and just spilling your guts out for a bunch of people and hoping that they're going to laugh with you and see the world like through your eyes and, and, and you're funny is so brave. And so just all the appreciation to Kate and her vulnerability today and being brave enough to to share in her experiences and especially, you know, her honest experience of what 2020 was like. You know, especially seeing the light at the end of the tunnel right now, I think it's easy to kind of put this positive spin on like, yeah, everything's great. We're almost there. And like, things are good. Things are happening. Right. But the truth of the matter is, is that was a really hard emotional year. And I think we're all still going to be processing what that means for a while and asking ourselves like all of our experiences through 2019. Like, what does that mean going into 2021 after a year like 2020? Right. And what Kate talked about so openly with us is how, you know, you only grow from these experiences when they are so tough. And she feels like her comedy has grown within that. And I cannot wait to see what she does in 2021, 2022, whenever she comes 
out to California. We are going to be there to see her. Kate, thank you so much. We hope you guys loved our conversation with Kate. And we have another great episode coming for you next week. We'll see you then. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Edited by Katrina Henning. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.